2 Timothy chapter 2. We hear a lot this, this phrase, the end times. And usually when somebody means the end times, they mean that time period that is described at the rapture and into the book of Revelation. But you understand that we've been in the end times ever since the ascension, at the very least since Pentecost, but some would even say since the ascension, we've been in the end times. There's nothing that has to happen for Jesus to come back. Jesus could come back any moment. We call that his imminent return. At any moment, the eastern skies could part, and Jesus steps out on the clouds, and Christ come up hither, and the dead in Christ arise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be called up with them together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we live in such a way that we just all get on top of a mountain and wait. No, but Jesus said to occupy till he comes. We need to get about the business of serving God until he comes, you know. We talk about the Family Life Center. Oh, well, let's don't build it. Jesus is coming back soon. Well, Peter thought he was coming back soon, you know. Uh, we need to do what we need to do until Jesus comes back. And then once he comes back, the Antichrist can have it all. But until then, we need to be occupying until he comes. Paul lived in the conviction that Jesus would return soon, even if not in his lifetime. He did come to the understanding that he was going to, he was going to die. He was going to be poured out like a drink offering. But he still thought that Jesus was coming to, to soon. And as such, Paul had um, an approach that he used for living victoriously and vibrantly for God's glory. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. This is the last letter that Paul wrote, and he's writing it specifically to a young man named Timothy. Thou therefore, my son, verse 1 of chapter 2, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Now, Paul has this, this approach that he uses to live victoriously, to live vibrantly in these last days, and he is passing this truth on to Timothy in this last letter. Now, when you read verse number 1 of chapter 2, the second word is of great importance. Thou, therefore. It has rightly been said, and I'm not trying to be trite or cute. It has rightly been said, any time you see therefore in the Bible, figure out what it's there for. And that means you start going back, and you start reading for what we call context. So what's the context? What's the therefore of 2 verse 1? In light of what Paul has written up to that point, he is encouraging Timothy to be strong. And as we navigate these end times, we, like Timothy, are going to face some trials. We're going to face some fears. We're going to face some testings. What, 
What do we think is going on with Timothy? Could I, could I give you a sanctified guess? But I got some evidence for it. I think there's a part of Timothy that is ever so slightly wavering. He's nervous. He's, he's thinking maybe, maybe this just isn't worth it. Now, why do I think that? Here's our context. In chapter 1, verse 4, Paul mentions his tears. Something's upset Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 5, Paul reminds him of the godly heritage that he has through his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. Don't forget where you came from, Timothy. In verse 6, he encourages Timothy to stir up his gift, which means he has it already. He's just not using it like he should. In verse number seven, he reminds Timothy that, that we're not, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He instructs Timothy in verse eight not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. And then in verse 13, he tells Timothy to hold fast. All of those things put together seem to indicate that Timothy might be having a struggle. Don't think too poorly of Timothy. We've all been there. I wonder this morning if you fall under the purview of that, therefore. Are you dealing with tears? Are you having to be reminded of the godly heritage that you've been given? Are you having to stir up your gift because it's been laying fallow for a little while? Are you dealing with a spirit of fear? Are we sometimes ashamed of the testimony of the Lord? Do we need to be admonished to hold fast? We've all been there and maybe are right there right now. So what do we need? We need exactly what Paul said to Timothy. Be strong. The world, I assert to you, has enough milquetoast, weak-kneed, spineless Christians. Now let me, let me say something about that. That does not mean that real Christianity means we're supposed to be a bunch of jerks. The greatest Christians are not the ones that are the most annoying. It's not the Christian that's constantly striving for worldly relevance. It's not the Christian that looks for a reason to argue. I'd remind you, Paul said, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men, if you can. But are there times and are there seasons and are there instances in which Christians just have to square their shoulders back and say, this is right and I'm standing by it? And yet there's a lot of Christians that are looking for ways to accommodate the world and make it work with, with, uh, with the Scriptures so that we can all live in harmony. Can I remind you of what John said? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. There is no harmony between us and the world system. There just isn't. I'll give you an example. Years and years ago, as evolution began to take on a more prominent acceptance in the scientific and in the layman community, well-meaning, I'll give them that much benefit of that, well-meaning Christians tried to find a way to reconcile evolution with the biblical account of creation, and they came up with what was called theistic evolution. And they said, well, you know, it says that God created the world in six days, and day, in, in, in the Bible, in Hebrew, day can mean an age. 
So maybe God used ages and evolution to create. He's still the creator. That's all fine and good, except it's not what the Bible says. There is no reconciliation between evolution and biblical creation. The Bible clearly says that God supernaturally in six literal 24 hours a day, in the evening and the morning, or the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, that God created everything that we see in a week's time. That's just so hard for me to believe. Then it should be hard for you to believe that somebody rose from the dead. Because I got news for you. If Jesus can rise from the dead, he can do anything. I have no problem believing in a six literal day, 24-hour creation. have no problem in believing in that. But, But science, can I remind you something? Scientists don't always get it right, and when they do, sometimes they lie. Just like doctors and lawyers and politicians and everybody else that's out there. You either trust God's Word and take it as what it says, or you don't. Because if I can't believe all of it, I can't believe any of it. And if I can't embrace Genesis 1 and 2, I can't embrace John 3.16 either. There is no reconciling the Word of God with the world. You can't do it. We need Christians that are willing to be strong. The world desperately needs to see biblical biblical Christianity displayed by Christians of faith that is girded in iron but draped in love. The world looks to us to be strong. A uh, retired quarterback who now works for ESPN took a moment to pray for this young man who was hurt and, and, and who uh, suffered a cardiac arrest in the Buffalo Bills-Cincinnati Bengals game. He took a moment to pray on TV, and everybody just, oh, that's so wonderful. It shouldn't be out of the, out of the ordinary. Right. I'm glad he did. Dan Orlovsky is his name. I'm glad he did it, and I appreciate that very much. But when did it become okay for us not to pray? Hmm? Let's be honest, y'all. We get into the restaurant. We still say our blessing, but we do it in the most, you know, unseen way. All right, y'all, let's pray. Father, I just pray that you'd bless this food and nourish it in Jesus' name. Now, don't go the other direction. A preacher that I knew who was, who was one of our coaches coming up, he stood up in the, in the food court of a mall and silenced the entire food court because we were going to pray. You can imagine how we teenagers felt about that. Oh, my soul. I'd have sooner walked home and got back on that van with the church name on the side of it. But you know what? It's completely okay to bow your head at your table and say, Lord, I'm grateful for this food. You provided it, and we know you did, and we're thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And if people are skunk-eyeing you, how you doing? Don't worry about it. We need Christians that are strong, don't we? Here's my question, a question I have to ask myself. Are you waning? Are you not as strong as you once were, or are you not as strong as you should be? Husband, are you the strong Christian you should be? How about you, wife? How about you, dad? How about you, mom? How about you, nephew? How about you, niece? How about you, aunt and uncle? How about you, grandparent? Are you as strong as you should be for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so this morning, with the Lord's help, I want to look at this subject, Paul's secret to spiritual strength. Paul's secret to spiritual strength. Father, would you help me today as I preach this? May I rightly divide your word of truth? Would you help me to just handle this just the way you want me to? 
Speak to our hearts, and may Jesus and his precious Holy Spirit have his way, and may Christ be lifted up. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Oh, I want to be a strong Christian. Do you want to be a strong Christian? Do you want us to stand over your casket and say, oh, they were such a milk toast, weak-kneed Christian? No, nobody wants that. We want to be able to say to us that we're strong Christians, that we stood strong in the fight and we didn't give in and we didn't back down and we served God faithfully. So how do we do that? How do we have the spiritual strength? And that's important to remember. This has nothing to do with your intellect or your personal fortitude or anything else. This is a spiritual thing. The spiritual strength that we need. What was Paul's secret? Number one, we're dealing with a force. You've got to have the right force behind you. Verse number one, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the what? Grace that is in Christ Jesus. We look at Christians and we think that their strength comes from every source, but where it actually does. Oh, that guy right there, he's so self-sufficient. And that lady over there, she sure has experienced a lot. And that person over there, boy, their personality is something God can use. And oh, that one over there has such an education. And that one over there has that training. And and that one over there, boy, they're always giving it their all. And here's the problem with all of that. We thank God for all of the tools that he gives us. But never forget, they're just tools. The force of our strength must always be the grace of the living God. We've got an entire generation of Christians that were beat over the head with, you got to do this and do this and keep on and be strong and pull up your bootstraps and we don't have the ability to do it. I stand in need of the grace of God. And so do you. I can't do anything without his grace. It's amazing. We rely on his grace to save us and even to keep us. But it does more than that. It empowers us as we seek to serve him. Real sustaining strength can only come from the grace of God. But our strength gives out when it's rooted anywhere but God's grace. Hey, pastor, how'd you manage to make it 30 years in the pulpit? I was stubborn. That may be true, but that's not how you made it 30 years in the pulpit. You made it by the grace of God. I can power through this, and I can get God's work done. No, you cannot. How'd Paul make it? Because did you know, in addition to everything that Paul went through, Paul dealt with something he called his thorn in the flesh. It's hard enough living for God when you're healthy. Paul had some kind of something, some kind of condition that God put in his life to buffet him, to keep him humble, to keep him usable, to keep him teachable. By the way, that may be why what you're going through is in your life too. And three times he said, God, take it away from me. I could serve you so much better. I could get so much more done. I could be so much more effective. And what did God say? He said unto me, my what? My grace is sufficient for thee. 
For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What, what's the one thing that's going to get me to heaven? Grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Well, then should it be hard for me to believe that the one thing that's going to keep me while I'm here is grace? That doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities. That doesn't mean we can do whatever we want or not do whatever we don't want to do. But just understand what the force is. If you want to be strong as a Christian, it starts, it begins, it ends with grace. Number two, the secret to spiritual strength, according to Paul, involves grace. But number two, it involves a formula. Our young people that are taking classes in high school that have formulas, they love formulas. But look at verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard among me, I'm sorry, the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul introduces in verse 2 a formula that's going to strengthen the saints now and in the future. I'm going to give you the formula if you're in the habit of taking notes. This would be a good one to take down. Here's the formula. You ready? Indoctrination plus authentication plus replication equals continuation. Now let's break those down. Indoctrination. Now, we hear that word a lot on the news, and it almost always has a negative connotation. I tell you what them folks at Granite are trying to do. They're just trying to indoctrinate our kids. We exactly, yes, we are. You're exactly right. We, we are. Because you know what indoctrination means? It means to teach a truth, specifically religious. Why would we not want to do that? They're just trying to indoctrinate. By the way, There's a whole lot of indoctrination going on. Some of it's good and some of it's not. I know some great people that work in our public school system. And they love God and they're doing their best to live for God. My sister's one of them. we got folks in our church that are tied with the public school system. But let me tell you something. There's people out there that have authority within our state schools. They're trying to indoctrinate kids. There's people, and I'm not trying to sound like I wear a tinfoil hat or anything, but there's people at the health department that want to indoctrinate people. There's people in, in Congress that want to indoctrinate people. Everybody's trying to indoctrinate somebody, so we might as well be indoctrinating people with the truth. How about that? The truth. So Paul said, the things that thou hast heard of me, that's indoctrination. But then what he says is, among many witnesses. That's authentication. So that means, don't just, Paul said, don't just believe me. Believe what all these other prophets and apostles and men of God have taught you. Beloved, in the 12 years I've been here, I've never once asked you to take my word for it. Authenticate it all, y'all. Most importantly, authenticate it through the word of God. Be like the Bereans, more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Authentication. So make sure it's the truth. It's my responsibility to give you the truth. It's your responsibility to make sure it's true. Hmm? And then what do you add? Replication. The things which thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. 
replication. Take what you've learned, give it to somebody else. And then what happens? Continuation. That they may be able to teach others also. Continuation. See? That's Paul's formula. That's Paul's formula. By the way, the things that thou hast heard of me, the same commit. The word commit has the idea of to deposit for future use. Another word you could use is invest. The things which you've heard of me, invest in others. Invest. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It might even take money. But invest in others. It's interesting. Paul's formula never has less than three participants at any one time. And I want to illustrate that to you. So let me get, let me get some help here. Let me get Brother Davies. I'm going to get Zach and uh, brother, brother, brother Hensley, if you would help me. All right, let's just line you up right here. Zach, Brother Davies, Brother Hensley. Now, if you'll allow me, I'm going to pretend I'm Paul. Okay. Hopefully that won't be too much of a stretch for you. All right. You're Timothy. The things which thou hast heard of me. Okay, that's us. One, two. Okay. Now, why am I passing this? Why am I passing this along? Don't hit me. Why am I? He's been lifting weights in college. I want to leave him alone, okay? Um, all right. Why am I passing this along to him? Obviously, it's for his good. It's for his benefit. But what does Paul have in mind for Timothy? Eventually, I'm passing away. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men. Okay? Now, I'm gone. But let's pretend I'm somebody else now. Okay? Now, what are you doing? You're committed to this faithful man. Now, pass away. <laughs> pass away. And what's he doing? He's committing it to a faithful man who then commits it to me. He passes away. Zach, come back over here. All right, now you're somebody else. Okay? And then he passes away. And then what, we still got three people. We still got three parts to this, Right? What is that telling us from the Word of God? There should never be, you know, in in basketball, thank you, man, I think I'm done with you, but thank you. Um, I might call you back. But, But let me illustrate it this way. In basketball, great programs never rebuild. They reload. I hear this all the time, we're in a rebuilding. Well, then you're not doing well. Because great programs, whether it's basketball or football or whatever, you're constantly recruiting. You're constantly bringing in new talent. You're constantly bringing in new people. So that way, when this one graduates or lately enters the transfer portal, you got somebody else that's next man up. That is exactly what God is talking about with us. I am to indoctrinate somebody have it authenticated, they replicate it, and there should never be a time in all of Christendom where there's not groups of people with the truth giving it to other people. It's a constant, constant process. It's a formula that works. I'm not interested. Remember, the Great Commission's three parts. It's not just winning people to Christ. Thank the Lord for that. But it's baptizing them in the local church, and discipling them in the Word of God. Why? So they can go out and do it again. And that's why our churches fall off, because it stops being a formula. 
It stops being a formula. And Paul gives a formula. And let me tell you something. When you're doing that, not only are you empowering the church right now, you're empowering it for the future. Not only are you empowering your family now, you're empowering it. By the way, this is especially true in our families. I should be able to tell my kids the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou. It works in families too. And it empowers us personally. Any breach in this formula weakens us now, and it weakens us in the future. So, what do we have? We have a force. We have a formula. Then number three, it involves some fortitude. Verse number three. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. Bear up against difficulty. (laughs) Oh, help us, Lord, with these folks that try to tell us that if you get saved and you're right with God, your problems are over. Because you're a child of God, and what father wants his children to suffer? So you're going to be fine. And if something's not right, then you're not doing something right because God wants us. He wants you to prosper. Paul would differ with that. Paul had a pretty rough life, and I don't think anybody would argue that Paul wasn't right with God. The fact is, sometimes the Christian life demands a personal resolve not to quit when it gets tough. I've had people over the years come to me, and I've gone to people over the years. It's tough. I just don't want to quit. I just want to give it up. I need the answer. I need the secret. And sometimes the answer is just stick to it. Don't give up. Don't quit. Have some resolve. Have some fortitude. Sometimes that's, that's just what it's all about. It's just bearing down. Paul says something in 1 Corinthians 16 that quotes 1 Samuel chapter 4. He's actually quoting a Philistine. A good advice from a Philistine of all people. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Any of us that have striven to serve God know that there are just times there is no magic answer. It's just a matter of being a man or a woman of God and bearing down and getting through it. Can I give you an example of that? COVID. My soul. I saw some of the greatest preachers, preachers that have been at this for years, that had all kinds of wisdom, that had all kinds of experience, that if anybody knew what to do, it would be them. I saw some of them just kind of, what do we do? If I close church, all of my brethren, my encouraging brethren, are going to say I'm a compromiser. If I open church, these brethren over here are going to say, I want to kill my people. And then, inevitably, you have people that never come back from it because they've found a reason not to come back. You have folks that have gotten discouraged. You have folks that just quit and give up. And I'm going to tell you something, that wears on you after a while. Well, how'd you, how'd you make it through, through, through COVID? Now, obviously, the grace of God, we talked about that, and his word and his encouragement, that, that goes without saying, but I said it anyway. But sometimes God's expectation of us is you just bear down and don't quit. 
There's some marriages that could be saved if folks would just bear down and not quit. There's some churches that could have been saved if people just bear down and not quit. I will tell you something. If this country is going to be saved, we need some Christians to bear down and not quit. How many Christians gave up looking for a magic answer when the only answer was don't give up? It takes some fortitude. The secret to spiritual strength involves the right force. It involves a formula. It involves fortitude. It involves focus. Verse 4. No man that warreth entangleth him himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Verse 4 is not saying that every affair of this life is wrong. We were talking about this in our combined Sunday school class this morning. Um, it's not wrong to have pastimes. It's not wrong to enjoy yourself. It's not wrong to watch a ball game. It's not wrong to have a family game night. It's not wrong to, you know, every once in a while sit down and watch something that's funny, as long as it doesn't offend our faith, something that's funny that, you know, I mean, if you, you got a sweet tooth for the three stooges, knock yourself out. You know, why not? You know, none of that's wrong. But sometimes we can let things that are okay take up too much time or take our eye off of what is most important. And what he's saying here is not that everything is wrong. He's saying that when you're at war, your focus must be on the main thing. And friends, I got news for you. We're at war. Christians lose strength when they lose their focus and settle for good instead of best. Those of you that served in our military, by the way, thank you for your service. Those of you that served, if you're in the heat of battle, that's not the time to write a letter home. Is it wrong to write a letter home? Certainly not. In fact, it's advisable, but not right then. Why? Because there's more pressing matters. you got shrapnel flying everywhere. Ordinance is exploding everywhere. The enemy's advancing. That's not the time to write a letter. But we've got Christians, the devil is attacking, and there is stuff going off all around us, and we're just distracted. I believe that Christians ought to vote in a way that pleases God. I do believe that there are candidates that are right for office and candidates that are wrong for office. I am very politically oriented. I'm fascinated by it, especially the presidency. I'm I'm a presidential history buff. But I'll tell you, Christians, we can lose our focus and get it on politics and get it off what really matters. Speaker McCarthy can't save this nation. Now, granted, he had a really good line. You probably didn't stay up to hear it, but the uh, minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries, gave a speech before he was installed as, before Mr. McCarthy was installed as the Speaker of the House. And uh, it, was, it was noted that whereas it took, what, 17 votes, <laughs> that uh, Hakeem Jeffries had 100% of his party's conference behind him, 100%. And that was made note of, and he gave his speech. 
And then Mr. McCarthy got up, and in his acceptance speech as the speaker, he said, Hakeem, let me just let you know something. I had 100% two years ago, too. Things change. And people change. And parties shift. And politics waffles. You can't trust any of it. There's only one name I can give you that never fails, and his name is Jesus. And he should be our focus. And we can, we can lose strength when we lose our focus. James said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Some are brought down by deception. Some are brought down by debauchery. But I think more Christians than any fail because of distraction. We're just distracted. You want to have strength? Spiritual strength? It involves the right force. It involves the formula. It involves fortitude. It involves focus. And then finally, it involves fidelity. What do I mean by fidelity? I mean, you've got to be faithful to the rules. Verse number five. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. This is an athletic reference. It's saying athletes can't be awarded based on their skill if they compete outside of the rules. If Brother Davies was running the, the mile, and we were out there at the course, four laps to make a mile, and the gun is fired, and Brother Davies takes off across the midfield to the other side, he will absolutely finish before everybody else. Except he's out of bounds. He's outside of the rules. If someone is playing baseball and they hit the ball and run to third, they did not get a triple. They played outside of the rules. If someone dribbles the basketball, picks up their dribble and walks five steps to take a shot, they're in the NBA. (laughs) But according to the book, that's outside of the rules. We all understand that. Then why is it that Christians think they can be successful using every shortcut they can come up with except what the Bible teaches. Hmm? Strong Christians are faithful to God's Word. We have a fidelity to what God's Word teaches, and we do things God's way. And we can't be tempted by the shortcuts of the world that ultimately lead nowhere. There's a quote, I think it was, had an arm Judson that said it. He said, God's will will never lack God's provision. Except I left out one part of that. God's will done in God's way will never lack God's provision. 
As a pastor, I'm constantly looking for ways to adjust how we do things that might be more effective, but all of that comes to a screeching halt if it goes against this book. Tonight, Lord willing, I'm going to bring a message also out of 2 Timothy. I'm rethinking the way I preach. But I'm not rethinking what I preach. Because it doesn't matter how smooth I am in my delivery or how good people feel if it's not a matter of fidelity to that book. So what? All right, Andy. That's a neat little outline. What's your so what? Well, do you want to be a strong Christian? Because there are some that have reached a point in their lives that's not their highest priority anymore. I mean, yeah, I'd love to, but I'm never going to be that, so, you know. I'll just muddle through and see what happens when I get to heaven. I would offer you this thought. If there's nothing in you that wants to be what God wants you to be, you may have a bigger problem than you know. Let me say that again. If there's nothing in you that makes you want to be what God wants you to be, you may have a bigger problem than you know. Because if you're a child of God, there's going to be a want to in there somewhere. The want-to's are there, but boy, it seems like the flesh always wins out. Well, that's not on God, that's on us. Because His intention for us is that we be strong, is that we be victorious, is that we be um, effective and consistent. And maybe you're not. How do I get there? You start by dwelling on or drawing from the right force. Stop trying to do it yourself. You need the grace of God. So draw on the right force. And then follow that formula. Indoctrination, authentication, replication equals continuation. Live it and pass it on. Fortitude. When you feel like quitting, give God one more day. And then when you get to that next day, if you still feel like quitting, give God one more day. It is always too early to quit. Always. Our motto in the school honor God, do your best. Never quit. Because God can use a failure. God can use a loser. But God cannot use a quitter. Your wife needs you not to be a quitter. Your husband needs you not to be a quitter. Your kids need you not to be a quitter. I need you not to be a quitter. And Jesus wants you not to be a quitter. It takes focus. 
It's fine to enjoy some things in life, but don't let her, ever let them take the place of that which is most important. And that's serving God. And then fidelity. Do it all according to the rules. You have those five things in place, and you have discovered Paul's secret, spiritual strength.